Hi, and welcome back to For the Love of Astrophysics. This is your host, Aditya Sundar, and today we'll be talking about stellar evolution and the remnant phases of a star's life. Let's start with stellar evolution. Now, as the name suggests, stellar evolution is the process by which a star changes over time into the different phases in its life. Stellar evolution, as I have said in previous episodes, depends a lot on the mass of the star. This means that a relatively smaller star could end up dying or living out its life in one way, while a larger star ends up living its life very differently. In the last episode, we ended with talking about main sequence stars and how nuclear fusion occurs. Nuclear fusion is basically the process which keeps the star alive and is based on atoms colliding with each other to form heavier atoms. In a main sequence star, this process occurs only with hydrogen. This means that hydrogen nuclei collide with each other in different orientations and ways to finally form helium nuclei. However, the star has only a finite amount of hydrogen and once it has all been used in nuclear fusion and has been converted into helium, the star moves on from its main sequence stage into the red giant or red supergiant phase depending on its size. After the star has used up most of the hydrogen in its core to fuse into helium, it is ready to begin its evolution into a giant. In a main sequence star, the core hydrogen fusion usually creates the necessary pressure that maintains hydrostatic equilibrium. We also talked about hydrostatic equilibrium in the last episode. Essentially, to keep the star stable, the pressure of force exerted by gravity, which forces the star inwards, has to be balanced by the outward forces from within the star. So technically, once the hydrogen has run out and the star's core is filled with only helium, the hydrostatic pressure moving out falls. So it should fall out of equilibrium as there's not enough pressure or force acting outwards against the gravity. It is because of this that gravity becomes the dominant force and starts to force the star to contract. As the star contracts and forces all the atoms and nuclei closer and closer together, there's more mass concentrated in the same amount of volume. This increases the density. Alongside this, the greater number of particles moving increases the overall temperature as well. So the core of the star is now becoming denser and generating energy in the form of heat. Now we all know that the core of the star had hydrogen before it all turned to helium. The thing is, most of the outer layers of the star are also made out of hydrogen. So once the core reaches a critical and optimum temperature and density, it forces all the hydrogen in the layer immediately surrounding the core to start to fuse. So nuclear fusion has started again, but this time it isn't occurring in the core. At this point, nuclear fusion occurs very quickly, much faster than how it originated during core hydrogen fusion. Because of this, the hydrogen will run out more quickly, so stars will only stay in the stage for a shorter period. In this phase of the star, there are changes occurring all over it. While these changes with respect to the nuclear fusion occurs inside the star's core and the outer shell, there are changes occurring in the outer layers of the star as well. We've all heard about this certain future billions of years later when the sun starts to expand and turn redder, right? Well, that's exactly what happens to the outer layers of the star during its transition into the red giant phase. 
Remember when I said gravity became the dominant force and began to compress the star until it had forced the outer shell of the core to start fusing hydrogen? Well, this time, the outer shell fusion actually generates more energy than required. And the force exerted by it is greater than that of gravity. So the outer layers are actually forced to expand rather than contract. In doing so, they become cooler and cooler due to their increasing distance from the core. It is at the end of this complete expansion where the star is referred to as the red giant. Red giants usually end up being more than 100 times their original size when they were part of the main sequence. In star systems such as ours, with planets, red giants are known to grow so large that they actually eat up or rather burn the closer planets. To understand this, picture our sun surrounded by Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars and all the other planets. Now imagine the sun growing so big that eventually the radius of the sun is greater than the distance between the sun and Mercury, which means that Mercury would have gotten burnt and gone inside the sun as it grew. Our sun is expected to grow up till the point where it burns up not only Mercury and Venus, but Earth as well. But we've got nothing to worry about since we have billions and billions of years before that will ever happen. That covers the transition from a main sequence star to a red giant. Now let's talk about what happens after the red giant phase. Now, after a star completely runs out of fuel, its remnants can take one of three forms, depending on its mass during its existence. These three forms are neutron star, a white dwarf, or a black hole. Let's first talk about how a star can become a white dwarf. Now, this happens through the red giant alternative, if you remember the life cycle episode. Basically, if a star is mid-sized, like our own sun, it will become a red giant and then eventually a planetary nebula after all its outer layers expand. Now, the core of the nebula remains where the core of the star would have been. Now, usually right before the star bursts into planetary nebula, the core of the star would have reached a temperature of about 100,000 Kelvin. This core is the only remnant of the star after the nebula occurs. So imagine the nebula, which would look like a huge bubble-like shape of colorful dust and gas particles, and then a tiny but bright dot at its center. That is the white dwarf. White dwarfs are incredibly heavy in density. In fact, they're typically half the mass of the sun, but only slightly bigger than Earth in volume. This makes white dwarfs more than 200,000 times denser than Earth and are one of the densest collections of matter in all of space. In fact, if you took a small cup holding around 250 ml of the white dwarf, it would weigh almost as much as the Sage computers, weighing around 250,000 kg or 550,000 pounds. Now let's talk about how star could become a neutron star. Now, the white dwarf alternative, which I just talked about, is the most common and most likely death of a main sequence star that becomes a red giant. However, if a main sequence star becomes a supergiant, which means that it must be eight solar masses or higher, it has the potential to become a neutron star. Let's skip ahead the supergiant phase and ahead of the supernova phase as well, until there's only the core left. Now this may get a bit confusing, as the core at this point is usually referred to as a white dwarf. Basically, whenever the outer layers of a star has expanded away or exploded, the only remnant is the core, and we refer to it as the white dwarf. 
In the case of a red giant, as I described before, the white dwarf for the core is relatively smaller, so it stays as a white dwarf. However, in a super giant, the core of white dwarf left behind is usually much bigger, big enough to cause it to change into either a neutron star or a black hole. So when all the fuel burning up in this core a white dwarf left behind runs out, the only thing supporting it and keeping it somewhat stable is a process known as electron degeneracy. Now I won't get much into this concept as it dwells into quantum mechanics. But all you need to know is that there are two electrons and a set of circumstances. And there's a certain principle that states that if these circumstances are the way they are, it'll be extremely unstable. So these electrons start to move incredibly fast, generating pressure. Enough pressure that could stabilize and support the core. Now, in a previous episode, I mentioned a constant known as the Chandrasekhar constant. In simple words, the Chandrasekhar limit or the constant is the maximum possible mass of a stable core. Basically, now that electron degeneracy pressure has taken over, there comes into the picture the maximum amount of gravity it could withstand. Basically, if I have a core and I keep increasing its size, the gravity increases as well. But if the electron degeneracy pressure stays the same, so the force acting inwards on the star would keep increasing while the force exerted outwards does not. There should be a point at which the electron degeneracy pressure cannot withstand the pressure acting inwards from the gravity. And as we all know, as the star gets bigger, the gravity increases. So there should be a certain mass above which electron degeneracy just cannot support the core. This mass is the Chandrasekhar limit or constant. Therefore, a dwarf or core above this mass will undergo gravitational collapse, evolving into a black hole or a neutron star. At this point, many quantum processes occur that I will explain very briefly to understand the evolution into a neutron star. Along with electron degeneracy, there occurs a very important quantum process one that governs why a white dwarf becomes a neutron star in the first place, electron capture. This process involves protons and electrons combining to form neutrons. To understand this, we need to go a little back to when I talked about baryons. Basically, protons and neutrons are made of certain elementary particles known as quarks and are known to switch between each other through different processes. But the interesting thing is that an electron is an elementary particle itself. So it couldn't change into a neutron. Instead, what happens is that electrons are absorbed into the nucleus, which forces the protons to turn into neutrons. After that, the energy of the electrons is released from the nucleus in the form of an electron neutrino. In fact, because of this, millions of neutrinos are released from the dwarf. Whatever is left is a huge clump of neutrons in the form of a neutron star. Now remember how I said white dwarfs were incredibly dense and were one of the most densest collections of matter in the whole of the universe? Well, neutron stars are even denser. In fact, they're so small with their diameters being only around 20 kilometers, but they hold almost 1.5 times the mass of our sun, almost around 100 million times as dense as a white dwarf. So remember that small cup we took? Well, when you take a cup of a neutron star of about 250 ml, it would weigh 25 trillion kgs or 55 trillion pounds, 
roughly the mass of 474 great walls of China put together. With this, we are done with stellar evolution completely, but not yet done with the concept of how stars die. We are still left with the black hole alternative, which we will talk about in the next episode, dedicated completely to black holes. See you next time on For the Love of Astrophysics.